want to say that it is good to be back with you again this evening. We're glad that you're here. Hopefully we'll have something to say that might cause you to think a little bit and maybe look at things a little different perhaps than we have in the past. Hopefully it'll be something you can use as you go along life's way. In Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18, Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now he was talking to the apostles when he said that, but Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. Now what I want to talk about tonight is when does a church cease to be a church? And that may sound like an odd way to look at this, and it might be, but when does a church cease to be a church? Years ago I heard an old joke, and I don't know how funny it is particularly, when is a door not a door? When it's a jar. That on? <laughs> and I know there's not much value in that particular story. But you know, when, when, it, when does a church cease to be a church? When does somebody that's a drunk quit being a drunk? When does a liar quit being a liar? When does a thief quit being a thief or a murderer a murderer? When they become something else. Now when the Lord touches them and they become a Christian and they become something that they weren't before, then they're able to overcome some of those kind of problems. But we can take a church that God has designed to do a specific job and we can change it into things that God won't even recognize. My youngest son went to church with some fellows that he knew. They talked him into going. And he come back and I said, well, what was it like? He goes, if you like light shows, it was great. <laughs> they had a light show at a church. I mean, that's, isn't that marvelous? He goes, I don't think they read the Bible at all. But they had a light show and that's called church. Is that what the Lord intended the church to be? When the church ceases to be what the Lord wanted it to be, it becomes something else. Let me give you some things I got in mind. When it becomes a political action committee. You know, there's an awful lot of churches that become political action committees. They've got candidates that they support. They've got candidates that they promote and things like that. Is that what God intended? Had a young fella come to me. This is one of the few times I... Uh, I said, no, we're not going to preach that sermon because I'm normally, if you want to preach something, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to hear it. Now, if, I don't want you to get offended by this, but he said, I go, what, what's the topic? He's going to preach on politics. What's the topic? He said, why you can't be a Democrat and be a Christian? Yeah, buddy. <laughs> I would have went over real good, wouldn't it? You know what? If you go to Massachusetts, that is not a red state, folks. If you go up there, it's a very blue state. Now, I want you to keep this a secret, okay? But if you go to Massachusetts, you're going to go to church with people that like Ted Kennedy. Oh, my goodness. You know, one thing we talk about, there's two things that you leave in the South when you go to the North. One of them is the politics. The other one's the Civil War. They, they did not build monuments to the Confederacy up there. I want you to know that. Lindell Greer and I were in one of the towns, and he goes, what's this thing about? And it was a monument to the guys that put down the Great Rebellion. And I go, they fought that in your backyard, Lindell. <laughs> it was talking about the Civil War. You leave that home. You leave the politics at home. What are you going to do when you go to India? They're not red or blue, I don't suppose. They got some half-baked British kind of a government. And Nigeria, I'm not even sure they got a government in Nigeria. It's whoever's got the biggest gun. You know what? The kingdom is an entity of itself and its own. 
In Daniel 2.44, in the days of these kings, will God establish, set up his kingdom. It'll stand forever. The days of the Roman Empire, God formed his kingdom. You know what? I hope that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. I hope that's what you are. I hope that you're a citizen of the kingdom of God that happens to live in Texas or happens to live in the United States. But you know, there are members of the kingdom of God that happen to live in India, that happen to live in Nigeria. There are people in blue states and red states and purple states that are members of the same kingdom we are. Now, I've got another one for you. Church is not a democracy. God is the ruler. Jesus is the head. You know, in the days of, of King Saul, one of the things they forgot was they had a king. Israel forgot they had a king. God told Samuel, do to the people, give them what they want. He said, they have not rejected thee, but they've rejected me, that I should not reign over them in 1 Samuel 8, 7. The church is a monarchy. We have a king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, in Matthew 22, Jesus was being asked about paying taxes. How do you feel about paying taxes? I'm not real big on that one. I don't, I don't care for that too much. Do you? You know, and, and I, whenever I do bugs for people, I, they, they decided that bug guys are a luxury now. And so we have to charge sales tax on, on the bug job. And I always tell them, the gov the, this, this price I give you covers the governor too. Now he's not very good with his money because he's always needing more. But you know what Jesus said? Show me a coin. Whose picture's on it? And they said, Caesar's. And he said, you give to Caesar that which is Caesar, and you give to God that which is God's. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Peter, you obey every ordinance of man. And to honor the king and pray for the king. Do we do that? Now, you know, sometimes God works in mysterious ways to correct us. This true story, it only happens to people like me, I think. But if you go to Frisco, Texas, just south of where Gunner is, they have these lights, red lights, stop lights, and they got cameras on them. And if you go through one of those... They take your picture and they send you a bill. And I, I did that and I got one of those in the mail and I was going to hold a meeting. I got to pay this thing now and all that. And I needed to write down the address where to send it and I wrote it on a piece of paper. And I got to where I was holding the meeting and I wondered, what did I write that on? And believe it or not, I picked it up and I turned it over and I'd written it on a the back of a sermon about obeying every law of man, <laughs> obeying every ordinance of man. And I go, I got it. I got the point. We have a king that we honor. His name is Jesus. The church is not, the, the, the doctrines of the church is not up for a vote. Now, I'm going to tell you something that I learned the hard way. We say stuff like, you know, we get to make decisions about things that aren't important, like the time of day you meet. <laughs> Where do you change that? <laughs> and see if it ain't important. We kind of get set in our ways, don't we? When we went from 6 o'clock to 2 o'clock at Gunner, it caused quite a stir. We had started the congregation over in uh, Princeton, and uh, they meet at 10 o'clock in the morning. We'd met one Sunday, the second Sunday, I got together with the boys, and I said, you know, maybe we ought to go to 1030. 
You know what I mean? 10.30. Because the rest of the congregation normally meet at 10.30 and people traveling would be able to come with us. And I'm not making this up. Second Sunday, somebody told me, we've always met at 10 o'clock. We've only been in existence a week, fellas. Come on. We're a monarchy. Jesus, Jesus is the one that makes the rules. The top job is filled. You know, one of the reasons I really like what we call mutual edification, where we have numbers of speakers, Jesus never intended the kingdom to be run by one man. That's why you don't have one elder. That's why you have multiple speakers. Elders do not write doctrine. They're to see that we go by the doctrine of the king and we follow the king. The church is a monarchy. You are a member of the kingdom of God. You serve the living God. You serve the king of kings. And you happen to live in the country that you live in. We're not a political action committee, folks. We're really not. Are we a worshiping society? What is a worshiping society? James 1, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. Is being a Christian something we, I like this coat that I put on. We just put it on and take it off. Are we a Christian 24-7? A Christian is what we are, not something we do. Do we go out into the world? Are we a living epistle? Are we doing the things the king wants us to do? You're the salt of the earth. Have you ever seen salt when it gets wet? And how it clumps up? What's it good for? I'll tell you what it's good for. If you have a snowstorm or ice, you can put it down the driveway. <laughs> and that's about it. We're to be the salt of the earth. We're to be the light that people look and see. Years ago, I used to hear people say, you know, if somebody wants to hear the gospel, they can come to church. Unfortunately, what Jesus said was go. Go into the world. Go take it to them. Are we a worshiping society? What we do, we, we just go to church. That's, that's just the way it is. Is it just a habit that we got? The church ceases to be a church when it ceases to be a hospital for the sinners. And it becomes a rest home for the righteous. Is this congregation... A hospital for the sinner? Are you a friend of sinners? I had a lady tell me one time, said, Marlon, we're getting a reputation in our town. And I thought, oh, this is going to be good. And just out of morbid curiosity, I said, what is our reputation? And she said, everybody in town knows that if you got a problem, this is where to go. Bingo! We finally arrived. We got there. We're the friends of sinners. You know, that's what Jesus was accused of all the time. Mark chapter 2, places like that. He's the friend of sinners. He, if he knew what manner of person that was, he wouldn't even let them touch him. Are we the friends of sinners? If you have a problem, if somebody has a problem in their life, is this where they can come to find relief and find forgiveness? Is this where they can come and find a way to straighten that life out? Are we afraid we'll get contaminated? I got news for you. You're already contaminated. Don't worry about it. We're already sinners. If you come to Gunner, Texas, you're going to have all those people meeting in that building, and every single one of them's a sinner. 
every single one of them. We took four of the sinners and made elders out of them. <laughs> Is the church a friend of the sinner? You know, sometimes we think, well, there's big sin and there's little sin. And as long as I don't cross that line too far, I'm going to be okay. Folks, little sin put Jesus on the cross just like big sin did. My little sin put him on there just like if you read Galatians chapter 5, start about verse 19, you're going to read the works of the flesh. And it's quite a catalog. A lot of us have never done that kind of stuff. It's all right. Sin's what put Jesus on the cross. You know, the great thing about the Lord is while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 and 8. You know what Romans 5 says? It says that for a good man, some might die. For a righteous man, some would possibly die. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, I had a fellow explain that one time, and I thought he did a great job of explaining it. And he said it like this. He said, this is the way I feel about this. He said, if my son needs a kidney, he's got it. I'm going to give it to him. And he said, if my wife needs a kidney, she's got it. I'm going to give it to her. And if one of you brethren need a kidney, I'll pray for you. <laughs> but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Is the church a place for the sinner to come? Are sinners welcome here? Or do we try to shun that and stay away from it? When the church ceases to help the sinners and we sit in judgment of people like we have no sin... We become like the Pharisees. And Jesus called them hypocrites. We need to be real, real careful about that. When the church ceases to make known to the world the manifold wisdom of God. I don't know why God chose to do it the way he did. He could have done it other ways, I suppose. But you know, he said that he put the treasure in earthen vessels. That's me and you. You know what I wonder sometimes? I wonder sometimes how many elders the church is not going to have because we didn't tell the story. How many would have obeyed the gospel and would have become elders in the church, but we didn't tell them the story? Nobody told them. How many preachers could we have? How many elders' wives and preachers' wives could we have? How many teachers could we have? But you've got to tell them the story. But we didn't do it. In Ephesians 3, he said God chose to make known to the world by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Do you know the power you're sitting on? There's power in that gospel that you have, that you know and you understand. Now let me tell you something. There used to be a saying going around that really all you got to do is live a good life. Well, I want you to know something. I did not become a part of the church because people lived a good life. I was very impressed with my father-in-law. Now, I believe a good life helps, but you've got to tell the story. I didn't learn to commune on the first day of the week because he didn't steal. I didn't learn that I needed to obey the gospel and be buried with the Lord in baptism because he didn't beat the wife. Somebody had to tell me those things. Now, you may not believe this, but I was nearly 19 years old before I ever read 1 Corinthians 14. I didn't even know it was in the Bible. It didn't get a lot of publicity where I come from. 
Somebody had to tell the story. Are we telling the story? God has put that power and that treasure in you. What's the name of the game? What are we about? I believe 1 Timothy 4.16 really describes what we're about. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in so doing you'll both save yourself and them that hear you. That's what it's about. The church is in the soul-saving business, folks. That's what we're about. Why do you think we're having a gospel meeting? Why do you come to church? Why do we have church on Sundays and Wednesdays and all? Why are we up here preaching and doing what we're doing? God chose through the foolishness of preaching to convert the world. We're here to save souls. Is that what this congregation does? Are we doing that? Now, let me tell you something. I got to think, I've been thinking about this one since Brother Jim started talking with these young people the other day about some things. And I've heard it said with these young people, those that under 25 that we talked about last night a little bit, one day the church is going to be in your hands. I got to thinking about that. I'm not sure I believe that. And let me tell you why. I believe the church is in your hands right now, young people. I really do. When old people tell you that how proud they are of you and how much they love you and need you, you are tomorrow. Without you, it will cease to exist. I love the church at Gunner. A lot of y'all have roots there and you love that place too. I would hate for that church to go out of existence, but it can. There was a boy, a teenage boy, and he caught a bird. And there was a man that lived in the town that was a real, supposed to be a real wise fellow, and he was sitting on his porch. And that boy come up to that man with that bird in his hand. He said, old man, is this bird alive or dead? And the old man said, well, if I say it's alive, you're going to just crush it and kill it. If I say it's dead, you're going to open your hands and let it fly. And he goes, so which is it, old man? He said, son, it's in your hands. You can do with it as you will. And that's where we're at with the church. It's in your hands. How do you kill it? Walk away. Become that statistic that we talked about last night where you give up and you walk away. Jay said I needed to explain your trash can thing. <laughs> people didn't understand people throwing Bible in a trash can. Jim watched a bunch of guys go by and they'd been given Bibles and there was a 55-gallon drum and they were throwing those Bibles when they walked out. They were throwing it in a trash can. That's where that come from. If you walk away from the Lord, it will die. Somebody said, well, this is a big congregation and it is. And that's wonderful. It can't possibly depend on me. Really? The church in Jerusalem had 3,000 members. No. It had 3,000 members on the day of Pentecost, and then a little bit later, the Bible said it had 5,000, and then a little bit later, the Bible says the multitudes of them that believed. So you've got over 8,000. That's a big church. Where's it at? Where's that church at today? Now, there may be people meeting and worshiping the way we do over there, and we just don't know about it. But they don't have 8,000 members. What happened? 
What about mighty Ephesus? The church at Ephesus started with 12 guys. And all of Asia heard the word because of those original members. And that grew to be a strong church. Where's it at today? Yes, big churches can cease to exist. Talk to some of these guys that travel around and go around. And they'll tell you stories about people have told us that there used to be a church over in that town. It had 200 members. And they closed the doors. So tell me something, young people. Does it live or does it die? It's in your hands. If we continue to work and make known to the world the manifold wisdom of God and give people the opportunity to obey the gospel, the gospel will work. It has as much power today as it did in the first century. But we've got to take it to them. The church will cease to exist altogether if we cease to tell the story. We need to be doing that. God chose through this that he's going to make known to the world the manifold wisdom of God. The church ceases to be a church when it quits being the family of God. You're a family. If you're a congregation, you're a family. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 12, I believe it is, they came to him and said, your brothers and all and mother, they're outside. And he said, those of faith are my family. You're a family. You know what I learned a long time ago? Very first work I was involved in after I left Plainview 40 years ago. <clears throat> went down to Pearland, Texas. And there was a boom going on down there. I mean, you could drive down the road and they were starting with phenomenal salaries for 1980, 1979 and all that. It was great salary. They were begging for help in those chemical companies, the refineries and, and, and all that. And you didn't need any experience. They would train you. They were that desperate. Sometimes farming in the rural areas was having problems. And a lot of these kids come from farms and they come to that big city. And I learned when I, when I saw that going on, what they were really looking for. It's great that we sing a cappella, but that's not what they were looking for. It is wonderful that we preach the proper plan of salvation, but that's probably not what they were looking for either at the time. You know what they were? They were a bunch of kids from a small town, went to a big city, and they were all alone, and they needed a place where they could belong. And folks, if the church can't fill that bill, why are we here? They were looking for family. They were looking for somebody that cared about them. And then they learned these other things as, as the church took them in and, and made them part of the family. We need to be a family. You know, sometimes family disagrees. I know that my brothers and I, sometimes we would, we, we'd have to settle things every now and then. Dad had 80 clear acres of clear land and we had to sand on the same piece of real estate. <laughs> but you know, at the end of the day, we're still family. I can tell you something else about my little brothers. I could smack them, but you don't. Nobody else did. That ain't won't happen. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Are we family? Do people feel like a family? Are we close? Do we care about each other? When we cease to be a family, 
then we're going to cease to be the uh, church. Years ago, we had what's called an ice box. It's not a refrigerator. It was an insulated box, didn't have a motor, didn't have a compressor, and you would go buy 50-pound blocks of ice, and you'd put it in that ice box. And the mom had this ice pick. And husbands, it's great that those things aren't around anymore. But uh, they had a lot of uses. <laughs> but mom would chip off the ice for iced tea and stuff like that and for dinner and all that kind of stuff. And then when your ice got low, you go back to the ice house and buy some more. The ice house was in Wiley, Texas. And we were all little fellows, probably five to ten years old in that age group. It's July. It's 112 in the shade. You know what I'm talking about. And we'd go over there, and this old man <clears throat> would come out of that ice house. He ran the ice house, and he had heavy coveralls, heavy boots, heavy. I wonder how he didn't have a stroke in that heat like that. And he would stand at that ice house door, and he would grab that handle. And he'd say, are you ready? And we'd go, give it to us. And he'd open it up. And, you know, it was so cold, you could see the air coming out of it like a cloud. And it would hit you and you'd go, whoa, your head would explode. It was greatness. If you've ever had a brain freeze, you know what I'm talking about. It was great. You know what? Sometimes people walk into the back of a building and it's just like that ice house. I've been to church where people will sing, oh, how I love Jesus, but not talk to the person across the aisle from them. And you know what? When people come through that door... They can feel it, folks. They know whether you care about each other or not. And it's just like that ice house. And here's the deal. They got their own problems. They don't need yours. And they don't want to come into all the fighting and squabbling and all that. Why do you think it is that when churches go to fighting and squabbling, they die? But they know when they walk in, if you love each other and care about each other, your unity, your unity your family. That's what's important, folks. That's what's important. Are we a family? Do people come in and find a place to belong? Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you are God's building. You're God's husbandry. In Hebrews chapter 3, I believe it is, Jesus as a son over his own house, whose house are we? You are the church. You are the church. That we say, I'm going to church, and I know we're talking about the building, and we use that term. You are the church. The people are the church. You are the materials the church is made of. The church is not going to be any better than the materials it's made of. You give a, a great builder cheap, shoddy materials, and he cannot build you a great building. You are the church. You are the house of God. How are we doing? What are the materials like? Heard a story about an old boy was a builder. He was a good one. And he'd worked for a man for 40 years as a, as a construction build, the, the, the contractor. And this guy come to him and said, Jim, I want you to build a house for me. I want you to build one more before you quit. And I want it first class, buddy. I want the best of everything. I don't want you to spare any expense. Well, he's a builder and has been for years, and he knows how to cut corners, and he did. He got it under budget and on time. It's impressive. 
And then he went to the guy and said, the house is done. I'm going to retire now. And he said, did you build it great? He goes, yes. And guy handed him the keys and said, here, I'm going to give it to you because you worked for me all these years. You are the materials the church is made of. You are the church. Are we taking the word of God? Are we taking it to the world? Are we showing people that have problems that this is the place to come because you can find relief from the hurt that's going on in your life? When does a church quit being a church? It ceases to be a church when it quits doing the will of the master. I hope we never do that here. I hope we always are going to follow his will. If you're here tonight and you have a need in your life, this is the place to be. We've got brethren here that can help you. If you're hurting, we can show you how to end the hurt. If we can help you, come as we stand and sing.